Hi, I'm Quinn Carnegie. Welcome to Manifestation, Motivation and Passion. If you're looking to transform by delving into brain science, sacred inner wisdom and want to heal and feel great about your life and live in your powerful, loving center, whilst bringing affluence into your world, then tune in and let's evolve together. Lisa is a rock star life and business analyst, speaker and host of Epiphanish podcast and is also an established author, trainer and mental health advocate. Thank you, Lisa, for joining us today. Uh, thank you for having me, Queen. Lovely to be here. Thank you. Now, I, you've got quite a, quite a resume going on there. Can you tell us a little bit about um, how you got into it? Yeah, I can. So I spent essentially from 2005 to 2015, so that, that decade or so, in the healthcare space as an ambulance paramedic. I was in healthcare prior to that in different, uh, different roles. Um, so really, you know, around 20, 20 years or so in the healthcare space, I left ambulance with PTSD, anxiety and depression as per my psychiatric diagnosis and, um, shortly fell into a hole, uh, and spent 18 months getting myself out of said hole and you know, uh, I guess at that point of diagnosis, I was basically told um, by the medical fraternity, which I considered myself part of, you know, I, I went to uni to be an ambulance paramedic, I studied anatomy, like, you know, my background is quite, you know, I guess, like, the Western world mainstream medical, I come from a medical family, I've got doctors in the family. So that was my comfort space. Uh, and when I went to them for, okay, well, what do I do about this problem that I currently have now? I essentially got, we will try and get your medication balance correct, try and avoid your triggers, which was everything, <laughs> life, the yeah. world, and, you know, cross your fingers and hope for the best. And I was put on a disability pension at 34 years of age. I had a two-year-old and a... 12 and 14 year old stepkids at oh, that point see, that's a lot yeah so oh sorry, sorry. i was just gonna say so did you think you had ptsd or what did that <laughs> like before the diagnosis yeah yeah uh no um i knew i was really angry uh which was my primary symptom was rage Yes. I knew I was really angry and as far as I was concerned, everyone in the world was an asshole. That was my that was my take on it. I've spoken about this before. It's a bit like being uh, Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz, right? So when she's whizzing around in the house in a tornado and, she, and everyone goes, oh, no, there's a girl in a tornado. That's what it looks like from outside. As far as Dorothy's concerned, she's like, oh, it's windy today, right? <laughs> What a great example. Like she's in it, right? When you're in it, your perception of what is happening is quite different. You you just, it's one foot in front of the other. I've got to go to work to make money to buy groceries. So I'm going to put one foot in front of the other and I, I get up and I go to work and, you know, and you just do the do. So when you're in the middle of the storm, it's it's kind of like it's harder to recognise what's going on. and. I, that's part of my issue with the reactive mental health care system we have at the moment, which relies on the individual having the awareness 
that they need to seek help. Like I was the last person to know that I was as unwell as I was. And when I came out of the PTSD closet, as I call it, and I came out and I said, listen, you know, I think, I think maybe I've got a problem, you know, I'm really angry all the time and, and, you know, I've got a short temper and everything's annoying and I'm super irritable and, you know, all the things, uh, you know, I'm not sleeping and I'm having flashbacks. And, and when I, when I said that to my husband, he said, yeah, no shit, you've been awful to live with for two years. Oh, oh, goodness. What? What do you mean? Right? Like I was the last one to my own PTSD party. Uh, I, I didn't realize how bad the situation was, how unwell I was, because I felt like I didn't have a choice. Like I was just living day by day and, you know, doing the so things that had to be done. For others out there that may be in a similar situation to that, are you comfortable, and you don't have to go into this if you don't want to, but are you comfortable saying like, what What did that look like on a day-to-day basis? Oh God, it's, um. so this is sort of uh, 2013, like 10 years ago now. So it's a little, it's a little cloudy, but um. You know, at this point now, 10 years in the future, 10 years down the line in terms of, you know, healed and all of that, it, it's almost like thinking back is almost like it happened to somebody else. Like it's it's very, it's so weird to think that that was actually my experience. I can tell you that uh, I essentially had no, no patience, zero patience. Um, so I was very easily irritated and and set off and you know it's been referred to by many as as the family walking on eggshells around you that was absolutely the circumstance in in our home is that everyone was very afraid to make a noise or say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing or you know whatever that was going to set mum off but it's 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 next level tricky because they don't know what's going to set me off and I don't know what's going to, you know, like we're all playing, we're playing a game and nobody knows the rules, right? Mm. But we're trying to keep within the rules. So I was very quick to anger. I was having what I called uh, visitors. So, for example, I was walking down the you know, supermarket aisle, the fridge with butter and cheese and all that stuff is in the fridge. And I would get visions almost of um, people that had passed in traumatic circumstances from, from my career. And wow. I would, I called them visitors and I would be like, not now, now's not a good time. Like I'm oh. just here to buy cheese, right? Like I just, and I kind of, yeah, I mean, in terms of the DSM diagnosis, they're flashbacks, right? Yes. Um, I had I had those. I don't. I never remembered any nightmares. I possibly did have them, but didn't recall them in the morning. I, I certainly had terrible sleep, uh, broken sleep, and and you know couldn't fall asleep, couldn't stay asleep, woke up tired every day. And I think what's important to also mention is that PTSD doesn't and and mental health in general actually doesn't just live between your ears it, it is a full body full human experience oh absolutely um, especially like when you've got you know like you're saying everyday triggers 
oh, well, you know, it made me laugh when they're like, avoid your triggers. And I'm like, well, you know, when you've been to a car accident, driving on any road is a trigger. When you go to, you know, a cardiac arrest at a shopping centre, going and doing the groceries is a trigger. Like, because we're not coming from a frontline perspective, right? We work in the community. We work in, uh, you know, schools and shopping centres and on the side of the road and like in the same place that we live. As opposed to, for example, um, and I'm and I'm not, I'm not comparing it to minimise either of them. I just I'm I'm trying to demonstrate the difference in triggers, so to speak. So for a soldier whose triggers are related to an overseas deployment, the 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 triggers are different. Now your nervous system doesn't know the difference, like so you know you'd still absolutely be able to be triggered. But I know someone uh, who's an Afghanistan veteran, and the mountains, any sort of mountainscape takes him right back to Afghanistan and his wife and him actually opened a a yoga center and a healing center and she had a picture on the wall a painting that had waves like ocean waves but the shape of the waves were quite mountainous and he actually had to get her to change the photo on the wall the picture uh, because for him it just took him straight back to the mountains of Afghanistan the triggers the, or, the, or the things that I was attempting to avoid were Woolworths or the kids' school or like the road that I drove up and down because when you live and work in the same community, you know, I think these, you know, moments and places are essentially unavoidable, which is why I thought it was so ridiculous to suggest like avoid your triggers. I was like, okay, well, I'll just stay oh in my, my God, house. house. Yeah. Like where do what yeah okay how do you how do you do that and still live a life and function as a as a human being and parent and and go and you know like it was just so that for me was not a viable option I tried the couch for about three three and a half months I sat on the couch and I watched everything that there was on Netflix I think and I thought okay well this is this is not sustainable. I don't want to be, you know, like I said, I was 34 and the idea of getting to 68, you know, another 34 years, uh, sitting on the couch, being this, you know, shell of a human Mm. taking my meds and trying to avoid my triggers and my kids kissing me on the cheek to, you know, go to school, uh, and me really not being present and engaged in my life. That was not, an option. I was like, okay, I, we need a plan B. Yes. Um, and, and the medical model didn't have a plan B. So I st- had to look elsewhere. And so you found NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming. Can you tell me a little bit about what that is and when it should be used? I'll do my best. <laughs> <laughs> so NLP, as you said, Neuro Linguistic Programming. So neuro being mind, linguistic being language and programming essentially being the, the structures and systems and rules that we have uh, in our minds for our lives. It's old it's not as new as people think it's been around essentially was born out of the positive psychology movement roughly you know late 60s 70s so uh even though i don't feel like that was long ago that was really long ago sort of 60 70 years ago so it's not a new thing um my perspective is that nlp is a 
framework of philosophies and processes uh, together that uh, allow for new ways of thinking and you know we're, we're all programmed to some extent where we're programmed by our childhood experiences the way that we were raised the values instilled in us by our parents you know our all those influences in childhood and teenage years and our experiences as an adult and and so on and so forth all of that is so-called you know inverted commas programming so what we're doing with nlp is being able to look at those things and the way we think and how we perceive the world and what we believe and all that stuff and and sort of take a step back from it rather than just living it take a step back and be objective about it and become the observer of those things and then from that point you can pick and choose what is useful for you, what you'd like to keep uh, in terms of that programming. So like I said, you know, beliefs and experiences and stories and um, values and all of that. What's useful? What's helping you? What's valuable? What do you want to hold on to and keep? And what in that mix of things is unhelpful or unresourceful? What would you like to change? So for example, if you're running a business uh, like myself, right? So you're running a small business and you want to be successful and we want to make money and we want to pay the bills and all the things, right? But if I've got a belief that says money is the root of all evil and all rich people are dickheads, (laughs) I'm going to inherently sabotage my own success and wealth creation because I don't want to be one of those rich people right if that's what i think rich people are then i'm going to quite subconsciously obstruct my own success because i don't want to be that right so i will be on the face of it you know working really hard doing all the things you know all the stuff that's involved in in a business and at the same time you know really working against myself in ways that i probably don't even imagine and i'm not consciously aware of because at a deep deep level i think that people that are super wealthy are really selfish and i don't want to be selfish right so when you have a belief or um programming that's actually inhibiting you from reaching your goals or making progress in any direction you may not be aware of it. And NLP is a way to identify those things and then reprogram them, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I feel like that kind of leads on to uh, what I was going to ask next, which was how can NLP be used to detect trauma through text or speech? So when you're, you're giving that example... How is it used to... Um, in, terms of, in terms of trauma specifically? Uh, well, it doesn't have to be, but, yeah, let's, let's run with trauma. So because of the, the L in NLP, the linguistics, <clears throat> there's a lot of um, clues in language that a seasoned NLP practitioner or master practitioner can, as you said, detect in language. So... Our way of communicating often reveals uh, what is going on at a subconscious level. For example, a non-trauma example, there are people that frequently use the word sorry 
right you might know one of these sorry people oh yeah no sorry about that sorry for this sorry oh they bump like if you bump into them they'll say sorry they say oh sorry and you're like i hit you it's my sorry like you know right um and it's a bit of a default um statement for them right so they're 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 sorry about everything they're sorry for everybody there's a lot of sorry you're gonna notice this now after you listen to this you're gonna you're gonna be walking around going that's one of those sorry people Um, (laughs) i am guilty of doing that on the odd occasion (laughs) yeah oh look and and if you're if you're sorry because you know you are apologizing for a for an action or a behavior or you know there's nothing wrong with saying sorry when you're genuinely sorry but there are people with certain patterns that it's there's a distinct overuse um and what i you know as i said now with 10 years of experience what i understand that to be or or can be obviously everyone's different but often is reflective of self-worth issues and they're actually sorry for existing that's why they say sorry for everything because they have some deep stuff going on about their place in the world and being deserving of their place in the world and that can come from you know a whole bunch of reasons that people get to that point they may have been through a family violence situation they may have had a you know a a childhood experience that was very minimizing and demeaning of their their value right so there's lots of reasons that people can come to this and i would never want to predict you know what causes that and part of what i do is work and investigate to find that root cause but it the language coming back to the point is identifying or conveying information and clues. So sometimes I think of myself as like a linguistic detective about what's really going on underneath. So in the context of trauma, there are ways that people will speak about themselves, words that they may use. It's generally rather than specific words, it's an overall way of communicating that can indicate to me that they've been through something significant. And I say significant because trauma is a, a, it's a big bucket with lots of stuff in it, right? If you're three years old and you drop your lollipop in a puddle when you're three, that's trauma. Mm-hmm. right that's traumatic you're like i dropped my ice cream i dropped my lollipop like that's you know people ask me well what is trauma i'm like basically if if it if you think it was traumatic it's trauma yes. like that's you know there's no competition in trauma i do tend to see that in uh in some spaces where people are you know there's a bit of comparisonitis and it can go both ways like mm. That's really sad. It it doesn't need to be like that. No, and it's it's really it it's nobody benefits from that. Like it's bad for everybody to either minimize your own traumatic experience or you know experience of something uh, because it wasn't as bad as you know something catastrophic. It's not good for for you as a person to to diminish your own experience that doesn't help you it doesn't help you move on it doesn't help you acknowledge it it doesn't help you heal and conversely 
to have someone say, oh, well, you know, what you went through isn't that bad. At least you didn't have, you know, X and they sort of name something dramatic. Like it doesn't help anybody to be in that comparison space. The fact is, if someone experienced something traumatic, whether it's dropping a lollipop in a puddle or losing mates uh, on a, on a, you know, uh, military exercise, you know, like a, a deployment, it, it's all trauma. And the truth is that your body and your nervous system and your amygdala and all of that really doesn't know the difference. It responds the same way. So, you know, our nervous system doesn't know the difference between running from a saber toothed tiger to your boss yelling at you because your thing that you needed to hand in is late. You know, your project isn't done. Your nervous system doesn't know the difference. It responds the same way. And so I guess from there, are there any sort of ethical considerations that need to be taken into account when practicing NLP, like for someone that's looking for an NLP practitioner? Yeah, lots. (laughs) (laughs) So I think I liken NLP or, or really any other modality, you know, whether it's hypnosis or Reiki or whatever it is, it's, it's a tool in a toolkit uh, in the same way a tradie has, you know, a hammer and a spanner and, you know, they're tools. I can hand a hammer to one person and they can build a house with it or, or use it to contribute to building a house. They probably mm-hmm. need more than a hammer. Or I can hand a hammer to somebody else and they'll knock somebody else's block off. So, but it's not the hammer's fault, right? So tools are about how they're utilized, what intention you have when utilizing them. NLP copped a bad rap, you know, in the 80s and 90s a little bit because people were using it predominantly in sales. So, you know, car salesmen and real estate, you know, a lot of them got, uh, you know, went and did a short course in, in NLP to utilize language with the intention of manipulating people to make purchases right yeah again it's not the hammer's fault right correct yeah so i would i would implore any nlp practitioner at any level so there's this practitioner level there's master practitioner and then there's a trainer level regardless of your you know your level of training or your experience with nlp as a as a practitioner i would implore you to always return to uh, the intention and really stay conscious of what it is that you're trying to achieve and uh, do one of the things that we teach in NLP training is an ecology check. So ecology check means is it good for is it good for you as in the client? Is it good for those around you and is it good for the greater good? And so keeping that in mind uh, when utilizing these tools, And in terms of somebody who is seeking to work with uh, and potentially looking outside of that sort of psychology box for some support around trauma or mental health, and they're considering working with someone who is trained in NLP, I would look at a few things. Uh, Where did they do their training? And is it a a reputable, you know, training provider? Are they... Uh, accredited with any third party um, uh, advisory bodies or governing bodies. So in Australia, we've got the NLPAA, so the NLP Association of Australia. 
in the US, there's the ABNLP, the American Board of NLP, and there's uh, so international, you know, bodies that provide ongoing trainings and upskilling and, you know, um, there's a level of, I think, integrity that has to be maintained to continue to be registered with those bodies. So that's something to have a look at. Uh, ask them some questions like how long was their NLP training? Have they done a weekend? Have they done, you know, a week? Have they done months? Have they, you know, and how long have they been utilising? Like all the things that you would potentially ask, you know, a mechanic about mm. your car, you know, how long have you been a mechanic? Did you go to, you know, TAFE for that? Like, you know, how did, oh, I just my dad showed me a few things in the back shed. Um, yeah. okay, well, you know. So if they're the NLP equivalent of like, you know, oh, I read a book on it, so now I think I can do it. Mm, okay, I might go and talk to a couple of other NLP practitioners. Do your due diligence and and ask for, uh, you know, testimonials or referrals or, you know, can I speak to someone that you've already worked with that got a good result maybe if they don't have those freely available? And if it's if you give it a go and they're not the right fit, uh, again, it's not the hammer. It's Feel, feel free to go and seek yeah. out a second or third or fourth opinion and, and i always give an example of lollies there are you know sometimes you have to try several to find one that you really like yeah i usually talk about brussels sprouts and mushrooms right oh. sometimes you put it in your mouth to realize that it's not for you but you've but you've got to try it right you yes. put, as soon as you go you give it a go and you go oh no that's no, not for me, not for me. But, but you've got to taste it to find out right well, we're almost at the end of our time. So do you have any social media links or websites that you'd like to tell us about any packages that you run? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Quinn. Yeah. So look, the quickest way, easiest way to find me is to either just, you know, Google Lisa Westgate, search me on Spotify, or YouTube. The Epiphanish podcast is on YouTube if you're a visual person and you'd like to uh, look at me. Uh, alternatively, you can listen to it uh, audio only on all the usual podcast places, Spotify and Apple Podcasts and all that. The website is just lisawestgate.com. So, uh, and there's links to website, uh, to the podcast and courses. There's a course at the moment about language, <laughs> as you might have guessed, I'm a bit of a language buff. So there's a course on uh, minding your language and some words that you may consider releasing from your vocabulary and some words you might want to adopt instead. So the website is a good place to, uh, to check out, lisawestgate.com. Uh, and feel free to stalk me on socials uh, and send me a DM and connect. I do work with with individuals. I, I, I do sessions with people and I also have a business to business offering for people that are um, running a business and they're looking for some, some clarity and uh, consistency in their communications in their business as well because I am a scatterbrain neurodivergent woman and I like to keep busy so I have a, a few hats on. Perfect. Oh, well, thank you so much for joining us. If anyone wants to check out lisawestgate.com and um, thank you again. It's been a real pleasure. I'm Quinn Carnegie and I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Manifestation, Motivation and Passion. I'm so thrilled you chose to spend time listening and would be even more grateful if you left a positive review. And if you found value, no doubt your family and friends will too. I'd love it if you share it with them. Thanks again.